Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I have a really amazing talk prepared in my iPad, and uh, it's called The Culture of Hospitality. So second service might get it, and you'll have to podcast it next week, okay? Um, But I think it's appropriate to recognize a few things of what's going on. So some of you are new to our church. That's fine. We love that you're with us. Um, But a church is not an event. It's not something that you can shop. Um, A church is the body. It's it's a family of God. It is the the people who have come to believe that Jesus has lived in human history, died on the cross, and has been raised from the dead, and currently reigns all of the cosmos. And for us, we are trying our very best to follow this living being who is Lord, Savior, God. He's revealed himself in scripture. He's revealed revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in history. And uh, we want to give the world an encounter and we wanna raise up followers of Jesus, not spectators, not um, uh, members of a body, but uh, I'm sorry, members of a church, but, but members of a body that we are in this together. And I, I think there's a crisis in the West, Western church today. And I don't think it's as obvious in years past, but I think it is very clear that um, we are facing a crisis in the church. Many of us think, oh, culture is scary, society, look what's happening. And we try to position ourselves against culture publicly in avenues that involve all sorts of shout matches and Instagram tweets, it tweets and Instagram and Facebook dialogue, um, when the reality is the, the core of our power is found in our identity in Christ, in our character, in our personal Christ-likeness together as a body on mission to the ends of the earth. And the crisis is all over the place um, because what, what's happened is we have disembodied the church. We have a do-it-yourself spirituality, which is that we bring people into the kingdom through a message or through a podcast or through an event, and that we think discipleship is just showing up to this thing and, and then doing kind of your own journey, piecing it together, together on your own convenient way, rather than reorienting your whole life around this new idea. And in, in traditions of past, you would have to leave one group to join the Jesus group. You'd have to leave sometimes your own family and be an outcast to become a family member of God. And for us, it's just part of culture now. And so we, we podcast the teachers we love. We show up to maybe a local church, but we prefer this type of teaching. We prefer worship has become a commodity that we listen to like it's a genre on iTunes or Spotify rather than what we do when we breathe every day. Worship has become something that has to be set up for us and it's like a warm-up. We have to like, okay, I'm I'm not into this one. Oh, I'm into this one. Yeah, okay, they're moving into Bethel. I'm over the Ocean's Hill song. I'm more of the house fires, like United Pursuit. I want more free. Like that is a thing. We sh- like, I should be able to grab this guitar and say, go. And there would be just as el- el- enough electricity in the room 
to charge the city of Long Beach because we are filled with the presence of God, resourced with the kingdom of life wherever we go, and we show up defeated by culture. So much of our life is trying to survive life rather than thrive and bring it. He says you will have life and have it abundantly, zoe, to its fullest, overwhelmed, saturated with the presence of God. Jesus baptizes us in the presence of God, the Spirit. We're not walking around with a cup half filled. We're walking with the ocean around us as God, saying that's how I live in him. But we're surviving. And our greatest prayers are usually interactions of conflict with coworkers or spouses or friends, wanting a dream job, wanting meaning and purpose in this life, and we want to have a job that makes us famous, that lets us work from home and gives us and lets us social, be a part of social media and has it transforms the world as we do it. Do you not know what your meaning and purpose on this earth is? It's to worship. And it's to participate in the restoration of the entire cosmos. The reconciliation of what? Some things? No, all things under his headship. And through his headship, he, in Ephesians chapter one or three, he says, he, in chapter one, he says, he fills all things through his body, the church, and church. You know, I feel like I wanna say this, and I wanna say it gently, but I'm not gonna say it gently. Because if this was my boy, and there was a, a thing in his life that I was, if I saw him remaining in this posture of whatever it is, a habit, a talking back, a disrespect, a disobedience, a kind of, if, if I overcompensated for him as a father and just didn't let him grow up, but let, kept, kept brushing his teeth and didn't teach him how to brush his teeth, kept feeding him spoons of, of food and didn't teach him how to, how to eat his food himself when he was five and six and seven, that when we get to maybe a senior in high school, that vision would be a little bit sad, would it not? I would have failed as a father in the early years to prepare him for life in the later years. And this is a church and I am a pastor of this church. I am responsible, that's how I feel for the condition of the garden, and I feel responsible for the city God's called me to. That's why we do safe families. That's why we give generously. That's why we're gonna not do a Sunday gathering and we're gonna serve the city because we need symbolic, prophetic wake-up calls to reimagine what it means to be his church, his bride. And if I don't do my job as a pastor to prepare and say there are some concerns I have, and one of them consistently is our worship. And so it has a prophetic edge, which doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel comfortable. The point of a prof prophetic word is to build the body, to encourage, to strengthen, and to comfort a person or community to rise up, to become fully mature. And if I'm in this gathering and I'm, and I'm trying, I, you know, I would way rather have notes right now. This feels a little naked to me. I would way rather convince you that I'm smart because some of you are like, oh yeah, he's spirit Bill, go for it. This is, I don't know what's coming out next. <laughs> and, but I'm not saying that as a, as a joke. I have 52 weeks a year to communicate 
life and the gospel and the message and the kingdom. And we pray and we fast and we discern what is God saying to our community in this time. And in this moment, it's a, we need to interrupt the program. We need to pause. We need to say law, a divine moment of pause to wake up and remember why we're here. And worship is a priority for the body. In this moment, in this time, in this nation, for our culture, where we're going, if we don't get worship, we don't get the rest. We want a culture of revival. We want to see thousands, millions come to know Jesus. We want a moral revolution. We want people to wake up from slumber. We want people to be saved. We have to be in the presence of God and get comfortable bringing our best to him. And at the very least, if you're not doing this Monday through Saturday as the body, and I'm just speaking to Garden Church, If you're not doing this Monday through Saturday, at the very least, bring your very best on Sunday. We don't, the story, I just heard this, so amazing, Solomon in the Old Testament, richest man in the world at the time, wealthy, beyond imagination, the wisest man, and the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon in his splendor and see for herself what the stories were told about him and his wealth and his wisdom. And she comes with trains of chariots full of gold and silver and rubies and all sorts of gifts. He's the richest dude in the world. But she knows you don't come to a king empty-handed. How many of us show up on Sunday morning empty-handed? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Romans 12. Let's go to that passage. It says, this is the turning point for the book of Romans. Romans is this beautiful, um, technically, it's a beautiful fundraising letter from a missionary, if you want historical context. So all the missionaries in the house, this is what Paul wrote to fund the mission to Spain, okay? He's never been to Rome. He has friends in Rome, other apostles that he's worked with, um, churches that he knows. He lists them out at the end. But as he writes this kind of beautiful gospel message of articulating the story of God, for 11 chapters, he's saying, this is what God has done. This is the story of humanity. This is what God's done. And then you get to chapter 12. This is what God's done for you. This is what God's done through the Israelites. This is what, this is what Jesus did. This is how the sacrifice, sacrificial system, this is who you are in Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. You are Abba's child. You have the spirit of adoption. There's all this beautiful stuff, all this like fulfillment of everything you could possibly imagine. And then he transitions from what God has done to our response. Right here in verse one of chapter 12, he says, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? It's for chapters one through 11. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, circle sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, blameless and holy. These are markers of the Old Testament. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So the response for all that Jesus has done for us on the cross, all that God has done through the Old Testament, everything that we could possibly, the fact that you can show up and recognize that God loves you as you are and not as you should be, that there's no system you have to uh, follow, there's no rule or checklist or spiritual ladder, there's no karma that's gonna put you back after you made that mistake, that's, that, that's all been done with. Because of all of that, and you receive this life as a gift, and all you have to do is receive, now that you receive it as a gift and you're invited in, live the rest of your life as a response. This is worship. That every aspect of your soul becomes a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. See, in Genesis chapter 22, there's the story of the first sacrifice required required. There were other sacrifices, but in Genesis 22, we read this story. I'm trying to get there. I don't know how far back it is. It's the first book in the Bible. If you're trying to get there or scroll there. Um, Lord Jesus, let it be 22. Yes, it's 22. Verse one, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am. He said, he said, to a- he said Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Isaac, and then, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain now that I will show you. So this weird Old Testament thing where God asks for human sacrifice. It's totally weird. We don't have time to talk about that, but it makes sense when we look back from the cruciform reality, the image that the greatest revelation we have of God is Jesus on the cross. Are you with me? So all other images of God have to be thought through looking back to the Old Testament through the cross. That's how we understand, because Jesus, Paul will write in Colossians that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, that all of scripture is pointed Jesus. So when we get to Jesus, we have to say, if it doesn't look as good as Jesus, then something else is going on. Are you okay? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Genesis 22 in, uh, begins with this idea that um, it's very cultural and primitive time that when you didn't know where the gods stood in their judgment towards you, you would offer sacrifice out of obedience. Now Leviticus comes around, that's the first place, and institutes this legal system of sacrifice. And there's all sorts of sacrifices, grain offerings, um, but there were sin offerings where you'd sacrifice a lamb. And there's this whole process, and it was bloody. It was messy. It smelt. You got your hands dirty. It was disgusting. It was a process. That was the that was a system, the sacrificial system that required regular ongoing atonement for all the crap in your life. And I said, crap, because it's true. Sin, pain, pride, anger, jealousy, rage, lust, hate, unforgiveness, any of that, anytime you made a mistake, you had to go to the priest at the temple and bring something that cost you something and have atonement, have a God cover the sin or the brokenness or whatever it was with blood. This is the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Sacrifice was messy. Sacrifice was costly. Sacrifice required you to do something. And what we get in the New Testament, according to Paul, is Jesus becomes the sacrifice once and for all and does away with the sacrificial system. The beauty of the sacrificial system is that you know where you stood with God. 
If you made a mistake, you bring the sacrifice and you're good. Now keep going. You make another mistake, you bring another sacrifice. Then you're good. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to think twice about what's been done once and for all on the cross. And Jesus does away with that system. And so now Paul takes that concept, that idea of an animal being laid out on the altar and he says, now you crawl back up there and put your whole life on the altar. That's worship. This is what all of us do every day we live. And it's not a spiritual thing, it's a human thing. So when we go to work, let it be worship. When we're at home doing the mundane thing of watching your two-year-old slap you every second and then telling you he has something in his diaper and you have to change him as you wrestle and he screams. Do that as worship. Your whole life, offer your emotions as a living sacrifice. The way you feel, when you walk in and you feel insecure. Today, I, I, I go to this annual pastor retreat with some of my friends who come here all the time and they're so much smarter than me. And every year I feel so insecure. Every year. I told my wife last night, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm feeling this insecurity because these guys write books. They're smart. They're so, everyone quotes them. I bring them here and everyone loves them so much more. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe a little true. But they're my, they're my bros. They're my friends. And we've been doing this for five years. And we have a theologian come every year. And it's like this amazing trip. And every year it doesn't fail. I feel insecure. I walked in feeling so insecure. And then we start singing about God. And it's like the insecurity just <laughs> melts away. Why? Only when we come to worship God as God will we understand who we really are. I don't need to compare myself to be smart enough when I'm in the presence of God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm smarter or, or have a better or bigger church, or it doesn't matter. All of that stuff melts away because all of a sudden I'm daddy's boy. I'm his favorite. These, and I think to myself, they're not your favorite. And that helps a lot. <laughs> but that's not true either. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be worship. It's going to be, we're going to take everything you've given us because all of it is grace. All of the success and failures that made us who we are, all of the relationships and experiences and the knowledge, we're going to take all of that and be like, there you go, Jesus. It's all yours anyway. And so what we do for eternity, we practice together every week. So the call to worship is not, it's the call to be here on time. The call to join us for the 30 minutes of worship should be the greatest priority. If you want, I'll start teaching at nine. Seriously, I think this is what I should do. I'll teach at nine so that you can be fed. It's not being fed. But that you can have the teaching first and then we respond with what we get to give. I'll give you a little bit of wisdom. Bill will give you a lot of bit of wisdom. And then my friends will just overwhelm you and you'll cry for weeks saying that was the best ever. And then, but then we'll have response, which is we get to do this together. In the second century in Athens, check this out. There are historical documents saying that Christians did not allow non-Christians to the worship gatherings because they were spirit-filled with power. 
And because they were regularly accused of being Christian by outsiders that pretended to be Christian, and then they would be slaughtered in the arenas, they stopped allowing non-Christians into this environment. The only way you could observe in Athens in the second century Christian life was in the individual life demonstrated through regular behavior and character in the workplace and in the family and community. So you could never see a sermon or worship or the tongues that happens or prophecy, but what you could see is compassion for the poor, generosity, kindness, gentleness. That's what you could observe. And what what scholars said is that the early church had a movement because the outsiders were saying, I want to live like them. And worship was a sacred place to bring your very best to know that the spirit of God is gonna be there. Jesus will be honored and the Lord, the Father in heaven will be glorified as we come, as we bring our psalms, as we bring our spiritual songs, as we bring our drum and beat it because this is what we do when we recognize a king is in the room. Gosh, this is so good. I wish I would have written this down. (laughs) But this is clearly a moment for us to recognize God is speaking. And I'm not saying I had this, I didn't have any of this today. But the Lord wants to speak to you. I'm not even sure that the second service is gonna get this. The Lord is speaking to nine o'clock today, letting you know we interrupt this program to worship. So let's worship. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.